Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and Game Sense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. The 2024 presidential campaign features two candidates who are very well-known to Americans. And yet, there's complexity at every turn. Criminal trials for one of those candidates. Young voters who are angry. The Campaign Moment podcast from The Washington Post gives you what matters. I'm Aaron Blake, and I'm covering my 10th election cycle. My colleagues and I have insights that you won't find anywhere else. So follow the Campaign Moment right now, wherever you're listening. This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employer's respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Hey everyone, it's Ted from Consumer Cellular, the guy in the orange sweater, and this is your wake-up call. If you're paying too much for wireless service, you don't have to keep having that nightmare. Consumer Cellular has the same fast, reliable coverage as the leading carriers for less. And for a limited time, new customers receive their second month free when they sign up and use promo code MONTHFREE by May 31st. So why keep spending more than you have to? Seriously, wake up and call 1-888-FREEDOM or visit ConsumerCellular.com. Taxes, fees, and other third-party charges will apply. See website for additional details. Today is Wednesday, September 18, 2019. I'm broadcasting Roller Martin Unfiltered from Stanford, Connecticut. On today's show, uh, Democratic donor Ed Buck has been arrested uh, for basically running a drug den. Remember, two black gay men have died in his apartment. Uh, we talked with Jasmine Koenig yesterday. We'll give you the details on his arrest. Also on today's show, young voters and baby boomers have entirely different views about who they want to be the next president on the Democratic side will break down this whole deal. But Sandy Hook promised a teens have launched a new campaign with a shocking video that details what students have to do to prepare for potential school shootings. It is causing lots of debate all across this country. Also, a new report shows that D.C. schools, schools dress code punish black girls. And a Dallas judge has decided that Amber Geiger's trial will take place in the city of Dallas. She is the former Dallas cop accused of killing Botham Jean. And the Texas teacher who asked Donald Trump to deport her illegal students has been fired. Good. It's time to bring in the funk. A Roland Martin unfiltered. Let's go.
California Democratic donor Ed Buck is in jail, arrested late last night for running a drug den. That is according to the Los Angeles County District Attorney's Office. Uh, Buck, of course, uh, was arrested. Uh, this follows two black gay men uh, dying in this apartment, but it was the uh, overdose of another man. We don't know. Uh, his race that caused the cops to finally arrest Ed Buck. Uh, we, of course, have been one of the few media sources uh, who really is focused on this. Jasmine Koenig, of course, an activist out in Los Angeles and journalist, uh, she really has been raising the awareness, trying to get uh, media and other outlets to pay attention to uh, the case of Ed Buck. Now that a third person has OD'd, now all of a sudden they decided to actually arrest him. He's charged with three counts of battery causing serious injury, administering methamphetamine, and maintaining a drug house. Prosecutors said Buck injected the victim with methamphetamine at his apartment in West Hollywood on September 11th. The victim suffered an overdose, but he has survived. In fact, uh, last night uh, when the news broke, Jasmine sent me a tweet, uh, and she's posted a lot. She immediately went down to West Hollywood, has posted a series of uh, photos as well from the crime scene. Again, and all of a sudden, you got people out here, media, who all of a sudden want to pay attention to this story when Jasmine Koenig had been begging for attention for so long. And so whether it was a Time Journal morning show, whether it was my TV One News One Now show and Roland Martin Unfiltered, we really were uh, the first outlet, uh, the national outlet, to really shine the light on this case and, and demanding that Ed Buck be brought to justice. I want to bring in my panel today, Monique Presley. She's a legal analyst and crisis manager. Uh, Eugene Craig, CEO, Eugene Craig Organization. Dr. Julian Malvo, she is economist, president emerita Bennett College. And Dr. Cleo Monago, uh, political and behavioral uh, uh, analyst. I want to go to you, Monique, first. Uh, the fact that uh, the district attorney's office finally decided to charge Ed Buck, two black men already dead, now you have a third person ODing. Uh, people have been saying, finally, and that's really what this is about, justice with this guy. Well, there's justice when justice is done. An arrest is not a trial or a sentencing or a conviction or any of those things that would mean that someone is actually going to pay for crimes uh, if crimes have been committed. So. I am glad that this has happened because there have been too many things, terrible things to go on surrounding this one man's actions for there not to be some action taken. But in these United States, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm reserving all mm -hmm. possible uh, signs of optimism. Of course. And of I, course, Cleo Monago, uh, so excited. Well, the excitement, well, Monique, is the arrest. The excited. Well, one, one, one second, one second, one second, one second. Here's what the issue is, and this is what it boils down to, Cleo Monago, and that is Jamel Moore, African-American, um, injected uh, by Ed Buck, dies in his apartment. Then you have a second man who dies in his apartment. Mm -hmm. And again, folks like Jasmine Koenig were begging for there to be a real investigation. Uh, Ed Buck 
prominent Democratic donor, mm -hmm. has given lots of money to individual candidates as well, and frankly, the Los Angeles County Sheriff's Department and the Los Angeles, Los Angeles District Attorney's Office were not doing their job in conducting a real investigation. And so the reason folks like Jasmine Koenig and the family of Jamel Moore are thankful is they find this guy is in handcuffs uh, and uh, there's a real uh, opportunity uh, to uh, uh, for him to, again, uh, to meet justice because he, frankly, has been running scot-free. And in fact, Jasmine posted a photo of another young black man who Ed Buck had invited into his apartment and then decided to throw him out and then call the cops on the guy. So this guy is a predator. He absolutely is a predator. And I agree with what, what Monique said, though. And also another element to this is that so far, the talk is about him possibly getting charged with something like a five-year sentence. Mm. That's nothing. Well, no, 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 no. No, no, but let's be clear. He's been charged. He's been charged with three counts. Right. Now, in terms of what the sentence carries, that's different. And so, again, that's what but there are three charges. Go ahead. Okay. Well, what's been the press, what's in all the press is that they're talking about potentially five years. So that's really, if, if indeed that occurs, three, two, two people die. And so that's really kind of yeah. a normal right. sentence considering okay. what he's done. But the other issue I think is important for us to look at is that Los Angeles has a relatively large community, and this happened, a homosexual community, and this happened right in West Hollywood under the watch of that community. And that community knows how to create a commotion when it's upset about something that it doesn't like, and they never created a commotion about this death factory that this man had right in West Hollywood. Yep. They, they never said anything about it. So it's, I'm glad that he finally was arrested as well, but again... We need to look at the fact that there's the, the negligence from the local community and the charges are really small compared to what he's actually been accused of. And, and, and Julian Malvo, that is absolutely right. Uh, Jasmine Koenig and others had to essentially embarrass white gay folks uh, in Los Angeles to stand up and fight against Ed Buck. And there were Democratic candidates who were resisting giving back money that he had given to their campaigns. That's, Roland, that's the disgrace of the whole thing. I mean, Monique is right when she says we're not optimistic, but the arrest is progress. But when you look at the list of donors, you talk about Ted Lieu, who's been out there talking about impeachment, talking about all this stuff. He has gotten major money from Ed Burke. You look at the rest of the, the names, you see prominent Democrats who've gotten money from this man. Meanwhile, this man is killing black people, killing black men, and luring them into his honeypot and then killing them. This is just absurd, but it really does speak to, when we talk about Black Lives Matter, Cleo, it's not only the GBLTQI community in L.A., what about the black community right. in L.A.? Why aren't we mad that this white man brings these young black men into his home, injects them with all kind of stuff, kills them, and is still walking around hobnobbing at uh, receptions? Well, I went to Ed Buck's home with uh, I, 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 Hold on one second, hold on one second, hold on, hold on one second. I want to bring in Jasmine Koenig right now, who joins us by phone. Jasmine, uh, Julian made that point in terms of, uh, look, you have been on this from day one. Uh, you've been reaching out to me. I've been retweeting and posting and having you on these shows. Yeah. And so g give us a sense, give us a sense of the reaction, again, when this whole thing started, what was the black community's reaction? What was the white gay community reaction to when you were sitting there okay. saying, hey, Ed Buck needs to be held accountable? Yeah, so I first, let me just make this clear. The black community was very supportive and has been, look, 
from the black media to the African-American caucus of the Democratic Club. It was the African-American caucus and rest in peace, um, Darren Parker, who was our chair, who recently died. But it was him who took me into the caucus to, pu- to push the entire party. It took the African-American caucus to, to push the entire California Democratic Party on this issue because at the time, the chair of the party was Ed Buck's best friend, okay? So I just mm. want to be clear that black people in L.A. have been very supportive. As a matter of fact, I was at a Democratic club meeting for New Frontier Democrats last night when I got the message, and I announced it in the club, which is our oldest black dem club here in California, and the whole room erupted, and, and everyone was ec- ecstatic and happy. The white gay community, that's another story. Okay, now, yeah, the white gay community, um, yeah, you know, there's a lot of work that needs to be done there. Um, I don't, I'm not going to say there was no one in the white gay community that was supportive, but overall, did I get the sense that the white gay community thought that this was an issue and wanted to to do something about it? Absolutely not. Were there people in the white Uh, gay community who separated themselves? Yes. And they did help. And one of the things that, again, Jamel Moore's family, and, and what, what was the second gentleman who died uh, in Ed Buck's apartment? Timothy Dean. His name is Timothy Dean. And he was a 55-year-old black man who died on January 7th of this year. He should not have died because Ed Buck should have been behind bars from the first uh, from the first death with Jamel Moore. And let's be clear, people, this is the beginning and not the end. Ed Buck is only charged in this overdose of the 37-year-old that happened last week, okay? Yep. So he has not been charged in the death of Jamel Moore or Timothy Dean at this time. And we're going to continue to push for those for the charges to be amended and upgraded and to include charges around those two deaths. Uh, Jasmine, I got to ask you this here because it was very interesting seeing folks like Ben Shapiro, uh, this black comedian who loves Trump, Terrence Williams, and all these all these conservatives going, oh, if this was a Republican, the media would be all over it. And I've been blasting all of them saying, hey, hey, where the hell y'all been? Don't try to jump on this thing now. Y'all didn't say a damn thing when, when you were out there, Jasmine, and others were, were trying, you know, knocking on doors, trying to get national media uh, to pay attention. Now, all of a sudden, you have these conservatives who now want to make this thing a Democrat-Republican thing. When I'm going, they were silent about this as well. So don't be a Johnny-come-lately, Ben Shapiro, <laughs> Terrence Williams, Hello. and the rest of you conservatives out there. Yeah, well, you know, we always tend to get that. And my concern has always been with the Democratic Party and their silence, because far too many of black people vote Democratic. And I cannot belong to a party that looks the other way when we're dying. You know, we holler Black Lives Matter, but as was said stated earlier, all black lives have to matter, including black lesbians like myself, black same-gender loving men, black gay men, You know, we all have to matter. And so the Democratic Party has a lot of work that they need to do, particularly around race issues, uh, issues around the LGBT community, because the silence is astounding. I will say that the local party, the L.A. County Democratic Party, did put out a statement this afternoon. I'm really happy about that. Still waiting to see what the state party is going to say. 
But, you know, every story, as you know, Roland, is Democratic donor, Democratic activist. And, 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 and rightfully so. The man has given over a million dollars to candidates and, uh, and elected officials in the Democratic Party. And so it would make sense that the Democrats, the party for all, the party who gets nearly all of black people's votes, would take this seriously and have something to say. Well, uh, Jasmine Koenig, you have been, of course, on top of this from day one, uh, and we appreciate your activism, uh, always no, reaching out. We appreciate out, uh, you, Roland. We appreciate you. Thank you so much for having me on your show, for having this Nixon on your show, for keeping this whole issue of these two men's lives out there on your platform. So, you know I love you, you know. We've been around, we've been friends for a long time, but I just got to say, I really mm -hmm. appreciate what you do and how you do it. Well, I appreciate it. You keep us up to date, and we'll be following this case to the conclusion. Uh, thanks a lot, Jasmine Koenig, uh, live from Los Angeles, uh, discussing the Ed Buck uh, arrest in L.A. I want to go to Eugene Craig. Eugene, get your thoughts on this. I'm going to go back to Cleo. Eugene, go ahead. Uh, yeah, I mean, look, it's a tragedy. Um, you know, this is just the start of justice. Hopefully, uh, the other gentlemen' uh, lives are uh, avenged uh, that were lost dealing with Ed Buck. But, look, the candidates that accept the money from them should give the money back. Um, and the L.A. prosecutor, uh, the overzealous prosecutor when it comes to other things, needs to be extremely zealous when it comes to this. Cleo. There have been black people in L.A. I go to L.A. a lot because I'm from L.A. and my mother is in L.A. and I go to see her. And I've been to Ed Buck's home a few times. The last time I was there, Jasmine and, Ken and I were both there and I wrote a few pieces about that experience. One of the things that concerned me was the dearth of people who were in front of his house protesting. I know there's people who care about the issue from a distance and probably were at the event that Jasmine was at where they clapped to hear about the arrest. But, but, but when it comes to community presence, grounds on, feet on the ground at this dude's house in front of his murder den, we were not there. And not only were the black, was the black community at large not there, but same general loving people and organizations in Los Angeles were not there either. So there's paralysis all over the black community regarding stepping up for this issue. And one of the things that Jasmine said that I want to reiterate is that the black community has to start having conversations about the existence of same-gender loving people because the lack of conversation creates a lot of trauma and invisibility among this population, which puts them at risk for the likes of people like Ed Buck. Because they feel like they have no support, and because of that trauma, they, go, they do any kind of thing to survive how they, how they experience life, and including putting themselves at risk. So we need to stop ignoring this population because they're also victims of human trafficking, they're victims of, of prostitution, all kinds of things because of the lack of community, explicit and blatant community acknowledgement of this population. So we have work to do. Uh, and, Monique, from, and Monique, from a legal perspective, uh, obviously he's been charged in this with this overdose, this third overdose, uh, and we're still awaiting to see uh, if they're actually going to pursue uh, any sort of legal uh, case as related to the two men who died uh, in his apartment in the last year. Right, and these are specific intent crimes and these are grown adults and that's why these cases are hard and that's why what Cleo is saying is important. We have to support our community so that they're not in these positions uh, because it's as hard as when we're dealing with sex trafficking cases of adult 
women and the women are put in the posture by public media and ultimately a district attorney's office if you're in the wrong area where they are blamed because they were adult decision makers and we don't understand what predatory behavior really looks like right. and how it influences people when they are poor, when they are hungry, yep. when they are not Thank educated. You. So these are the things, these are the conversations that we have to have. The reason why predators are called predators is because they get you when you're isolated. You know, they take you away from the pack and pounce. So, Roland, these these matters have to be looked at, yes, from the position of law enforcement and, and legal issues, but that's where the hard work is. The better work should be done keeping our folks out of these positions and getting the education and the message out there. Roland, I'm glad that Monique Sorry, raised folks, the economic uh, uh, piece of this because we're really talking about people who don't have. Yeah. You know, people... And, and the population that I think has been extremely vulnerable, that's not talked about a lot, are transgender women. Um, there have been a rise in the deaths, the killings of transgender women, um, and many of them have, of course, been um, prostitutes. Uh, but that does being a prostitute doesn't mean that you get a murder sentence. That's right. And we have people... You can't make money if you have discrimination in the workplace. So you're going to try to make money however you can. You can't eat with gender discrimination, so you're going to try to make money however you can. And our community has been uh, deficient in surrounding these folks with our love and support. We've had too many, especially pastors, but not only pastors, look askance at these folks' lives and judge their circumstances based on their lives. Why were these men... Well, I've, in the case heard, here, in, I've heard people... In, talk about in, these, in the case here, these were... The, yeah, in case of these were two men, one of the one these were these were two men. One of the issues you talked about is again individuals who were also homeless, uh, mm -hmm. and so yeah, uh, people who there in L.A. say Ed Buck was preying on these uh, young black uh, 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 gay men who did not have the resources, and that's and and then offering them drugs as well. And so yes, the economic piece certainly is what has been talked about in this particular case. But Roland, I have to say that, and I gotta really emphasize this and understand score this. Trauma and isolation is not something that only is owned by poor people. There are people with money and people who have means who feel a sense of cultural or sexuality dismissiveness that go in isolation based on these things who put themselves at risk. I mean, I can tell you some stories about clients I've had who were very wealthy, who had self-esteem issues, who put themselves at risk in parks and did all kinds of things because yeah. they, was, they were struggling with self-concept. So we do ourselves um, mm -hmm. a misjustice if we keep, even with people with HIV, Magic Johnson wasn't broke. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Easy mm -hmm. E, Max Robinson. We, I can go on a long list of wealthy people who put themselves at risk because they live in a so society across class that doesn't invite them into the conversation in ways that are neutral and not abusive. But Cleo, yeah. the ones who are poor right, folks, are much tight, more vulnerable. Actually, <laughs> folks, 30 seconds, 30 seconds. The, the, go the, ahead, go. Economics makes a difference. The ones who are poor are much more vulnerable. I'm acknowledging, not diminishing anybody's pain, but if you are homeless and someone offers you right. some place to sleep, you go sleep there no matter what happens. If you're hungry and someone offers you but a meal, people you already eat. acknowledged, you and Monique both, and I agree with what you said, have acknowledged poor and working class people. What I'm trying to illuminate based on my experience in my profession is just people it's, with it's, all it's kinds broadened. of money who are at risk as well because they might be financially wealthy, but they're culturally broke. Yeah. And self-conceptually broke. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm not arguing your point. I'm just undermining... I got it. Okay, okay, folks. I, folks, what... 
I, I got fully understand that. We got tons of stuff we got to get to. I got to go to a break. We come back. Uh, some Sandy Hook teens have put out a controversial video. It has lots of folks talking. Has even had some Sandy Hook parents angry with this particular video as well. We're going to show it for you and can't wait for that conversation. That's next Roller Martin Unfiltered. You want to check out Roller Martin Unfiltered? YouTube.com forward slash Roland S. Martin. Subscribe to our YouTube channel. There's only one daily digital show out here that keeps it black and keep it real. It's Roland Martin Unfiltered. See that name right there? Roland Martin Unfiltered. Like, share, subscribe to our YouTube channel. That's YouTube.com forward slash Roland S. Martin. And don't forget to turn on your notifications so when we go live, you'll know it. All right, folks, you heard me talk a lot about MarijuanaStock.org. Why? Because I want to keep you informed of investment opportunities that make sense. We've all watched the growth, the growth of the cannabis industry. A recent report by New Frontier Data estimates the global cannabis market at more than $340 billion. Of course, marijuana, marijuana legalization is sweeping the country state by state. We know that marijuana has a good cousin, the hemp plant, with a much higher concentration of CBD. That means hemp gives you all the medical benefits of marijuana without getting you high. Until recently, hemp farming was practically illegal in the U.S. and heavily regulated by the DEA. However, the 2018 Farm Bill recently passed in Congress, making it legal to grow hemp CBD in the U.S. and creating one of the largest commodities worldwide. They need land to grow all of the plants. Folks, this is simple. It's an incredible investment opportunity. That's where our good friends at 420 Real Estate come in. Their business model is simple. They buy land that supports hemp CBD grow operations and lease it to licensed high-paying tenants. They are hemp CBD landlords, and you can get in on the action. And what they've done for the folks at Roller Martin Unfiltered is allow for you to make a minimal investment of 200 bucks. The initial investment was $500. You can invest this, this in the crowdfunding campaign. That's right, 200 bucks up to $10,000. Now, again, all you got to do is go to marijuanastock.org. That's marijuanastock.org to get in the game and get in the game now. All right, folks, uh, we are in the midst of another discussion about gun control. And uh, a group called Sandy Hook Promise, they have put out a video. And it's really gotten folks talking all across the country because uh, they really hit folks square uh, in their mouth when it comes to this issue. And so watch this video, and we're going to come back and talk about it. This year, my mom got me the perfect bag for back to school. These colorful binders help me stay organized. These headphones are just what I need for studying. These new sneakers are just what I need for the new year. This jacket is a real must-have. My parents got me the skateboard I wanted. It's pretty cool. These scissors really come in handy in art class. These colored pencils, too. These new socks? They can be a real lifesaver. I finally got my own phone to stay in touch with my mom. Damn, Eugene! Uh, yeah, that was tough. Um, 
You know, but it's a reality. Um, it's a reality that, that we're living in right now because of inaction when it comes to uh, gun control, reasonable gun control. Um, you know, Sandy Hook and the, and the kids' lives have been lost there. Uh, there should have been a moment of action. Uh, Parkland should have been a moment of action. Um, you know, the Vegas shooting should be a moment of action. Uh, these are all moments of actions that, you know, should have resulted in actual uh, action. But no, here we are having the uh, same conversation around, uh, uh, you know, what our children are now living in a new reality of being fearful of their lives of a you know, mass shooter. Um, this video, Monique, I believe is, is one of those things where it's, it's amazing as I watch people's responses. Uh, this is a nation that I keep saying loves guns, but hates it when you're in your face. Hates it when you put something like this out. And it's very interesting when watching all these different people respond and react to this video because some say, oh, this is just too much. This is just too much. Did we have to see the blood and the sock being tied? Did we have to see all of that? Hell yeah. Mm -hmm. Yes. And for that same reason, um, when I first started at the Public Defender Service, one of the things we had to do was a rotation going to the medical examiner's office. So I've seen autopsies and seen them pull back a young man's skull and have to remove bullets. Um, these are things that need to be in people's faces so they understand what kind of trauma and impact there is. It's not until you've been with families. It's not until you talk to children who have lived through the trauma of being at a school where they've had to shelter in place. It's not until you've seen, as I said, the injuries of young men and women who are killed um, at, at the hands of people with these weapons that they should not have that belong in an army base somewhere that are not for hunting or any of the other excuses that we use in this country. So to me, the United States on this issue is like the United States is about every other issue we don't want to deal with. You don't want to look at it head on. Racism, sex trafficking, gun violence, it's all the same. Let us keep what we have and stay with our heads in the sand about the reality of the pain that's being caused. Roland, I was very... Um, Cleo, go ahead, go ahead. I was very moved by the commercial, but I had a parallel thought at the same time. Um, Sandy Hook is predominantly not black in terms of its population. There's been gun violence in places like Baltimore and Chicago for decades, and I haven't seen a similar commercial about well. the fact that people are dying from gun violence in these situations in a humanizing heart-wrenching commercial to make those lives valuable as well that can compel us to look at this gun violence issue. It's because of well, white kids being killed, which shouldn't happen. Please don't, don't think I'm saying that's a good thing. I'm not saying I think it's horrible and I think a commercial is needed. I'm just talking about equity here and human equity across no, no, no. the I mean, spectrum. But, no, but what, I wanted is, but what I wanted to say to people, though, that, that Sandy Hook Promise, which is an organization founded by members of the Newtown, Connecticut community, look, they put this video together. And yeah. so the, re the re reality is uh, they, they put this public service announcement together, uh, have distributed it, uh, and, and that's what they did. And so, I mean, you're absolutely right. Uh, and, and I, but I'm sure, though, that if, that if we look, that, that I'm sure there's probably some African-American out there who's done something similar, but the question is, did it get the same level of national attention? Exactly. You know what, Roland, though? 
one of the things I would say about the Parkland young people, and remember that they, when they came last year, they brought African-American young people to the stage. They had uh, the King granddaughter on the stage. They were making the connection, and we're counting on younger people, because obviously our generation is just bankrupt around this stuff, but counting on them to make the collect connection. The Parkland, the uh, video that we just saw obviously didn't deal with diversity as much as it might have, but the issue of gun violence cuts across race and eth yep. all, uh, cuts across all kind of lines. Who in the you-know-what needs an uh, AK-47 with I don't know how many rounds in it? We've seen the stories, and Cleo is right. One of the things that frustrates me is the number of young black kids, especially here in Washington. We see the stories every day. There's a story in the Post uh, over the weekend, a young girl whose twin was killed. Um, and so she's dealing with that. And it is trauma. And it is isolation. It's all of those things. But we have to... This is one of the cases where I think we can build coalition. I think it's, we can really build coalition on racial lines between rural and urban because, basically, fools got guns and fools support fools with guns. And somebody needs to do something around the National Rifle Association because they have too much power so that, you know, the president kowtows to them, Mitch McConnell kowtows to them. He says he won't do anything unless... 45 says it's okay. That's not how legislation is supposed to work. Well, but Monique, he's it was very interesting. I remember. I, mo, 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 Sorry. Mo, he's... Monique is real interesting. Real interesting. I, I remember when Sandy Hook took place, and there were a number of people who said that the parents should do what Manny Mobley did: open caskets or or Ooh. or publish the photos themselves. And again, there are people who were saying, "Oh my God, that's just too much." But the reality is this, Mamie Mobley's decision to have that open casket is what Rosa Parks remembered when she sat on that bus. It's what I remember talking to people like Tim Reed, Muhammad Ali talked about that. You had a whole generation of African Americans who said it was the, publish, the, public, the publication of that photo on the cover of Jet, on the cover of Chicago Defender, that cause black folks to say we're taking this thing to a whole nother level and it was interesting when people were saying the same thing should happen with Sandy Hook uh, and so this video I think is another one of those not as graphic but in your face to say this is exactly what's happening with our kids in school the kind of things that they're having to deal with right and you know, I mean, that's a parent-by-parent -parent type decision. There were many parents uh, who were involved with the things that went on in Newtown who did not want to remember their own children that way. And so, so those are very intimate, personal decisions. And I think the decision that um, Mamie made was one that aided and furthered the cause of our nation. But I would not, as a parent myself require or expect or lean upon any parent to make that kind of decision for the sake of the nation when what they really are doing is is dealing with an individual loss. Um, I am thankful that they came together and that they made this and I pray that those faces reach the hearts and conscience of this nation the way everyone else in the world is dealing with gun violence except for us. I disagree um, with... Well, I don't disagree with Cleo. Obviously, black lives matter. But, but my issue is when something like this happens and they took it upon themselves to do it, like, 
I can name 10 black people with means right now to do the same or an even better film and use all black faces if that's what they want to. So I don't have any criticism of the people who did this. It's on us to do the same in our community. And we have the means and we but have Monique. the resources. We have the opportunity. We have the market. We but Mar have, Monique, we seriously. have the clicks. Seriously. You know, we have, I'm, I'm Se no, I, I still but my seriously, camera, but I'm Monique, <laughs> I mean, I, I hear your passion uh, and I uh, feel uh, it. Uh, but uh, if, uh, we, wait, if wait, black wait, people wait, did wait, it. Wait, 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 Julian, wait, wait. Monique, finish your point. Then Julian. Okay. My point is, we right now, in terms of the people who have eyeballs on TV screens and digital markets and movies, we're we're way up there in the numbers. We spend the money on this, uh, so we control that market. So it can't, to me, be said that if we put our resources together to get behind something that Ava is doing, like with the Central Park Five, or get behind another film that's being done like Fruitville. Those are things that black directors, producers, black money put together and we supported and they received critical acclaim. So I don't think that there are any excuses here for why we can't prioritize our own children's lives. We don't need to wait for white folks to think that we matter. We know we matter. At the same time, Monique, what I'm saying, I mean, I like to say, I applaud your passion. I think we all share it. I think that we are all very disturbed about what's happening in our inner cities. But I'm saying that all your 15 people who you say could put something together, would it get the same kind of eyeballs? I mean, Roland would show it. He'd get his million folks, and we love Roland for the work he does. But, I mean, this thing has gone oh, viral. Oh, wait, wait, wait. Oh, oh, hey, hey. Hey, hey, wait, wait. Hell no. I got 2.4 million. Okay, excuse yeah. me. Excuse me, Roland. I apologize. 2.4. Let's just call don't it Don't be three. short me. Don't be... Okay, don't, don't, I'm going to round it up and call it three. How's that? Round it up and call it three. Uh, but here's the, the point. But here's the point. The point is... This stuff has gone on mainstream oh, media, boy. mainstream with, with anti-black racism. Our lives do not matter in the same way, and we would be delusional if we don't acknowledge that. In the what's happening in our inner cities, what's happening with these drive-by shootings with these little kids is that police don't even spend that much energy trying to solve these crimes. Yes, we have to take this thing by the, by the throat, and yes, we have to be passionate and focused, but we also have to confront the anti-black racism that makes a white child's life more important than a black child's life. We have to be clear about that, and we have to struggle with that. We have to ensure that these police forces who don't investigate our children's death that they are held accountable. And that means when the president of the United States is saying something about Chicago, even though it pisses us off, because we know that black-on-black -black crime is rooted in poverty and, and it's rooted in socioeconomic structure, it's rooted in over-incarceration, it's rooted in, in a drug battle that was kind of imposed upon us by a prior president's decision-making. We get all of those things. But we know that there's war on the streets, and when people who are not black want to talk about that, then black people get offended. And well, why don't we, we talk about white do, on white crime? And white and, on white and, crime. And, and, most crime and is intra-racial. And death through gun violence is and death through gun violence. Most crime is intra-racial. It is that. And it's death through gun violence. And what I am saying is we have to show that we care by willing to acknowledge the problems no matter 
what? We can't try to excuse it away to say that one is more important than the other. So, yes, school shootings matter. Movie theater shootings matter. Shootings on the street in Chicago matter. Shootings in D.C. and Southeast matter. All of it is gun violence. Domestic violence shootings matter. Suicide matters. So these are all issues that compound upon each other, and it's no time to be in silos about them. So when anybody brings it up, even if you know they're trying to bring up the stuff that is predominantly happening with people of color in urban areas, we have to say, yep, so what you going to do about it? You're right, it's a problem. We want to fix it. How are we going to fix it? We're fine talking about it. We hate these numbers ourselves. We don't want to see this happening. I mean, we have to lean into it. We can't be like, oh, no, that's not fair. Well, I don't think that's what, what anybody's white... doing. I hear Roller. black people all the time. What about the young white men who are killing scores and scores of people through mass shootings? It's true. There's a problem with white men with these shootings. They, they need to figure out what that's about. But there's also a problem in the, in the inner city. And we know what that's about. So we have to figure out a way to solve what was done to our communities. And I'm intentionally saying not Cleo. what he did yeah. but was done to us. I'm not, Cleo. I'm not sure what aspect of what I said that Monique was disagreeing with, but I want to be clear. I'm not mad at Sandy Hook for making this video at all. I'm jealous of anything. Mm -hmm. I'm not, I think that people should defend themselves, make videos, movies, yeah. um, campaigns, legislation. They should do that. I'm not mad one bit. I'm jealous because I've seen and know about black black violence by gun for decades now, and I have never seen a campaign like that on a macro scale, let alone a micro scale, that humanizes black lives, that mm, humanizes yeah. the people who are the victims at the other end of these guns who keep being black. And, and frankly, unlike the people in Sandy Hook, and that's where Obama went, as opposed to Chicago back in the day, um, there's, a, there's a paralysis that black people suffer in this country because of the trauma of white supremacy across the class spectrum. I want to make that clear, that it's not just poor people dealing with this, these issues, but across the class spectrum, we are self-conscious about stepping up like these people and defending ourselves, because it doesn't matter, to your point, uh, Julianne, about what white people will allow and not allow. We can demand stuff as a collective. He is kind of putting and his the, whole library the, in the hood, though, so that's... Uh, Eugene, we, have we have 55 members of Eugene, Congress Eugene, the who can make some demands. Eugene, excuse me, excuse me. Yeah. Eugene, the reality is this here, and that is, even with this PSA, Mitch McConnell mm -hmm. will do nothing. Yep. Yeah. Yep, 100% correct. Uh, you know, he's made the pledge that he's only going to move when uh, Trump says he's going to sign something. Uh, which means nothing because, which means never because the NRA is not going to allow Trump to put his signature on anything. Um, you know, but what the PSA does do, it does, you know, create awareness, although I think we probably at this point all are 100% aware. Um, you know, but uh, I mean, I would liken it to the equivalent of, uh, of, of some of the uh, anti terrorism PSAs you see overseas. Um, I mean, that's essentially what we're looking at right now, it's essentially what we're dealing with, and it's that that is what the children are dealing with. All right, folks, hold tight one second. I'm going to go to a break again. And when we come back, dress codes in D.C. schools, how are they hurting black girls? That's next. Roland Martin, Unfiltered.
You want to support Roller March Unfiltered? Be sure to join our Bring the Funk fan club. Every dollar that you give to us supports our daily digital show. There's only one daily digital show out here that keeps it black and keep it real as Roller Martin Unfiltered. Support the Roller Martin Unfiltered daily digital show by going to rollermartinunfiltered.com. Our goal is to get 20,000 of our fans contributing 50 bucks each for the whole year. You can make this possible. rollermartinunfiltered.com. Jazz is the experience of a lifetime delivering top-notch music in an upscale destination. The weekend-long event is held at the Omnia Day Club Los Cabos, which is nestled on the Sea of Cortez in the celebrity playground of Los Cabos, Mexico. The Life Lux Jazz Experience offers the ultimate getaway for discerning jazz aficionados by pairing an upscale international destination with luxury, with luxury accommodations, fine hot cuisine, top shelf libations, breathtaking golf, exhilarating spa, health and wellness options, and much more, while showcasing some of the biggest names in entertainment. The second annual Life Lux Jazz Experience continues to build upon its success and heritage with Jazzing Around Los Cabos, a celebratory expansion of accomplishing its goal of sharing all the finest the destination has to offer, including daytime excursions and many concerts, including the Spirit of Jazz Gospel Brunch and Jazz Sunset Cruise. Confirmed guests, comedian actor Mark Curry, Gerald Albright, Alex Bouman, Raul Madon, Incognito, Pieces of a Dream, Kirk Whalem, Average White Band, Donnie McClurkin, Shalea, Roy Ayers, Tom Brown, Ronnie Laws, and Ernest Quarles. Man, that's a hell of a lineup. For more information, visit the website at lifeluxjazz.com. It's lifeluxjazz.com. Also, we'll be broadcasting Roller Martin Unfiltered uh, from Los Cabos uh, the, the Thursday and Friday. And so you definitely want to be in the house, folks. It is an amazing experience. I can't wait for it all to happen. So go to lifeluxjazz.com to sign up today. All right, folks, uh, black girls in D.C. say that the, the enforced dress code uh, is unfairly targeting them. Of course, an analysis was done by the National Women's Law Center. Joining us right now is the author of that report, Nia Evans. Nia, welcome to Roller Martin Unfiltered. Thanks, Roland. All right, so tell us about this report. Uh, why are black girls saying the dress code in D.C. is unfair to them? Sure. So right now in D.C. and across the country, Black girls are missing out on an education because of what they are wearing and because of what they look like. And they're sick of it. That is why we wrote the report. So right now, Black girls are being suspended because of dress code violations. In Washington, D.C., my home, Black girls are more than 20 times more likely to be suspended than white girls are. And it's not because they're misbehaving more. It's because they get targeted and punished for really minor and subjective offenses, things like looking mad and dress code violations. Black girls are tired of being stopped in the halls, of having their bodies over-scrutinized. They're tired of being told that they're a distraction, that they need to change to avoid tempting boys. They're tired of this, and they're taking action. And so how are they taking action? Sure. So last year, we co-authored a report with 21 black girls in DC. We found all of these problems, similar to the ones that I just outlined, and they took action. They organized protests, they organized campaigns, they talked to their parents, 
parents started to lobby schools. Administrators and educators had to come together and respond to this really amazing groundswell of activism that was led by Black girls. They wrote this report in April of 2018, and a year later, the report that we just released outlines all of the work that they have done in Washington, Washington, D.C. to fight this. So they have been working with their school principals. They've been working with their parents to really convene conversations about how dress codes target Black girls and about the policies that they want to see instead. Uh, what has been the response from the school district? So largely, we've seen Black girls be leaders, really take a leadership role on this. Um, and in some cases, they've been successful. So we outlined in the report a few girls who organized a lunchtime protest, who got their school to walk out of lunch in protest of the dress code. They were tired of there being more rules for girls. They were tired of there being rules that were really rooted in racial stereotypes. They were tired of missing class because of the dress code. And they succeeded. The principal had to come to the table and have a conversation. And he started a community dress code task force that ended up with students being able to rewrite their school dress code. So there are some examples like that where we've seen students take action and school leaders really respond. But more often than not, we've seen students bring this issue to their administration. We've seen them organize protests. We saw in one school, Black girls organized a head wrap clapback because girls were getting in trouble for wearing head wraps in school. And so a group of girls said, you know what? This is who we are. This is authentic to us. This is not a distraction. We're going to wear our head wraps in school. And they lobbied their administration to change that rule. And the administration wasn't receptive. They didn't change the rule. So we've seen some examples of students really taking this issue. And we've seen adults respond to them in good ways. But we've also seen many schools not respond. And the district, Washington, D.C., as a whole, is not responding in the way they need to, even though Black girls, again, as I said, are more than 20 times more likely to be suspended for minor and very subjective offenses in school. DCPS, public schools, they've barely treated this like an issue. Nia Evans, Dash the Women's Law Center. We certainly appreciate it. Thanks a lot. Thanks. Monica, I want to go to you. I mean, I, we, I think about the story we did last week of the biracial sister in Alaska uh, who was uh, disqualified because one of the judges said that her butt cheeks were touching. And so, therefore, um, you know, the swimwear was inappropriate. And we find out that she's biracial. She has curves. Uh, and it was a, it was a school-issued swimsuit. Uh, we see other examples of this all across the country uh, where black girls uh, are being sexualized uh, at early ages. And again, are, things are being said about them, which are different from white girls the same age. Right. And then those very same things, those the white girls that aren't getting it said about them, the white mamas are trying to be like that. <sighs> Uh, listen, it's cultural appropriation in the adults, right? But then with the young girls, we are not just over-sexualized, but we are just prevailed upon every place that we turn. So young black girls aren't safe in the streets. Young black girls aren't safe in the supermarket, aren't safe at the movie theater, and are not safe at school. So we can put the same uniform 
platform on two girls of the same age who have different body types and not that it's inappropriate or that it's overly suggested in, suggestive in the way that it's worn, but just because it actually fits. The, and, the, and they have no idea how this affects a young woman's image growing up. I have a young black girl who is 13 and fierce and gorgeous and got way more mouth even than her mama, if that's ever possible. No, no. But she was rocking a curly <laughs> fro to school today. Damn. And she is powerful. And all I am trying to do is save her from the madness of this world that would make her feel bad about things that as soon as she gets a little bit further down the road, she's gonna go, oh, wait, but y'all wanna be like me. So my message to the black girls is stay in the race, sister girl, because the thing that they hate about you is the thing that they're trying to they cover want. up and suppress in you. And mamas, let's stick together and stand up for our girls the way they did in this instance. You know, Roland, the... A daughter, a daughter got more mouth than you? Mm -hmm. Oh, my God. Go I ahead, named Julia. her Grace just to make it safe. Oh, Lord. Uh, well, <laughs> that, that, that was her cover. That was clearly her cover. <laughs> Roland, you know, the, the, the history of the over-sexualization of black women is as early as our coming to this country, as enslavement, as a notion that no one was even ever charged with raping a yeah. black woman until after the 1950s. And even then, when we were raped, we wanted it. And so, while I, I support Monique a thousand percent, I want to meet little Miss Grace, um, oh, because I want to see who got more <laughs> mouth than her. But Me too. the other oh, piece Lord. of this that's really important <laughs> is that while we support our girls, we must hold these school administrators accountable. Yeah. I mean, I was looking at uh, something that was online uh, about this particular story, and you have these stupid white people writing, well, you shouldn't wear a halter top to school. Well, nobody said that anybody has worn a halter top to school. These girls are wearing their clothes. They're minding their business. But the subjectivity is such that whatever a black woman does is going to be over-sexualized. Whatever black girl... These, sometimes these girls are as young as 10 or 9 years old. Sex is not on their mind. But these schools, because of their anti-black, not anti-racist, anti-black bias, choose to see black women through a lens that's dismissive. And mm. so you can look at black women and kick them aside and say, and they're not women, they're little girls. I remember Roland, the, the, the police officer in Florida who grabbed the young girl by her braids. She had a baby, grabbed her by her braids. I'm yeah. just thinking, if that was a blonde, would that have actually happened? And so we know where we are on the totem pole, black women, and that's why we should never have another Mary Turner. Mary Turner being the woman who was lynched because she made noise about her husband being lynched. And so we have to, in, in the name of Mary Turner, never again be silent. Yes, Miss Grace needs to run her mouth, and so do we all, and we need to continue. Yeah. And I'm just, I'm just grateful to Nia Evans for lifting this up because Got it's been it. happening for a long time. Yeah. Well, Cleo. Roland, I have to preface my comments with saying that I support any type of activity that resists the oppression of, of black girls and controlling them. But what puzzles me, particularly when I heard the sister talk about women being looked at sideways for, quote, looking mad, um, black males are going through something very similar and often are accosted for looking mad, killed for looking mad. There's also dress codes and sexualization of black males. And I'm wondering why we're not working together. I think that it's important to focus on particular issues because they need particular focus to resolve them when they are peculiar.
but when they're similar as black people, I am just puzzled by that, males and females, black people, who are both targeted because of, because of how they look, their hair, like we talked about the sister or the biracial person who had the quote-unquote body issues that she had to be confronted by. Now we know about the guy who had the hair cut off, who had the, who had the locks, who the wrestler. So we're going through similar things, and, and I'm concerned about us shout, shadowing each other instead of shining light on each other so we can collectively resolve these issues. It's concerning me. And also, Eugene. I know well, that... Well, who says we're not working together? Oh, what, we're, One well, second, we're one not. second, Eugene. Uh -huh. Eugene. So, so the thing is this. Um, in, a in this particular situation, like uh, many others, and predominantly black cities with predominantly black elected officials, predominantly black school boards, with predominantly black school officials, you got to take control. The parents got to take control. Um, you know, you cannot... We, you know, we cannot continue to allow our children to be uh, weaponized and harmed, right? We cannot continue to allow our children to be assaulted by oppressive, oppressive figures and oppressive structures. And so, you know, it's at the point where if the city of D.C. wants to uh, uh, misapply or misappropriately apply a dress code, then I think it's about time the parents of D.C. children need to take back control of their school system. I agree with that. That's a good idea. All right, folks. All right, folks. So let's talk about this story here. Dallas judges rule at the trial of Amber Geiger, the former Dallas police officer who has been charged with the murder of both of them. Her trial will take place in Dallas. Her attorneys were trying to get it moved to Collin County, uh, predominantly White County, uh, near Dallas, saying that there was too much publicity. But a judge disagreed with that. It will take place there in Dallas. The trial will begin next week, September 23rd. So we'll certainly be keeping you abreast of what happens in that case. All right. Y'all know what time it is. Oh, it's a crazy-ass white folks time. It's a crazy-ass girl. No chocolate girls are allowed. I'm white. I got you, bro. Um, illegally selling water with our permit. On my property. Whoa! Hey! Hey, remember. Give me your yeah. All of you black English teachers out there, there's a job opening in Fort Worth, oh, Texas. Man. Georgia <laughs> Clark, an English teacher in the Fort Worth Independent School District, uh, she was the one who actually posted uh, some social media comments telling Donald Trump, that's right, get rid of these illegals including the ones in her classroom. Well, when the Washington Post uh, publicized those particular tweets, uh, let's just say it didn't sit well with the officials there in Fort Worth. Poor little Georgia. She out of a job today. I feel so sad, Eugene. I don't. Not. <laughs> I don't. You know, you know, what makes it so much, so, so much more egregious is that she's targeting kids, right? Kids that, you know, have no control over their lives. Um, you know, but you know, look, you want to you want want to expel your racism, at least do it with somebody that can provide a fair fight to you. Don't do it to somebody that can actually like can't fight back. Um, and so I think the school district did the right thing, fired her. I think her teacher's license should be permanently revoked. Um, same thing I feel about police officers that you know do similar things. You know, you you commit a. I think this should be a, a federal law, and I think every presidential candidate should take it up. Somebody commits a racist crime. They should have their professional license suspended or revoked permanently. I couldn't agree with you more. This woman I, is amusing. I, I, I keep saying, Julian, every time one of these white folks <laughs> lose their mind, black folks should line up and apply for their jobs. 
I agree with you, Roland. Even more than... This woman does not know. She knows what these young people's ethnicity is. She doesn't know whether they're legal or not. So this whole notion of threatening um, Latinas, uh, Latinos with um, deportation, deportation it, it is bullying, it's ridiculous, and she does not belong in the school system. But, you know, this is a tip of the iceberg. I was right. um, at a community <laughs> college very recently in the Southwest, and... Um, Actually, a student told me that when she complained about the teacher's uneven application of a rule, the woman came back and said, I can have you deported. Huh. This was a kid. She was 19 years old. Mm. And because she said, you know, this isn't fair, I would have you deported. So this is like the, the, the uh, should I say, Trump card for, <laughs> for, for a lot of people when there are disputes with, with undocumented people. We really have to do something about that. We really have to tell yeah. folks, as Eugene says, if you do this nonsense, you're not only you out of a job, but we will shun you, yeah. we will mess with you, uh, we, you know, we will take you viral and all of that. Yep. But Roland, this is, where Money, this, go ahead. this is where advocacy groups... Um, fail as far as I'm concerned and this is where like plaintiffs attorneys that bring cases often fail they get what looks like a remedy in that something happens to one person who we know did something so blatant yep. that it required action but what should be going on right now is that advocacy groups and PTAs and just mama and daddy on the street in that community need to be requiring from that entire school system that they go through sensitivity training that they go through a reboot on their discrimination anti-discrimination training that they be required to go through the kind of uh, non-disclosure agreements that they're already supposed to be in place regarding information that they may or may not get about the students. And the reason advocates are important is because there may be parents who are afraid to speak because they are not here what we are what we so-called illegal. There may be children who are here and they don't know what the status of their visa is. And that is not supposed to matter in the way you were treated. If this woman felt so comfortable that she was willing to tweet about that, that is a culture code for that mm -hmm. system at that school. It is not about that one woman. So it's, 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 it may be a one bad apple, but I'm telling you, that's a rotten vine. Uh, Roland, my, com Cleo, my comment. comments um, were going to be about the system as well. So Monique pretty much broke that down I'm in sorry, terms of, Cleo. oh, <laughs> it's fine. They, I mean, <laughs> who could have done it better? But I always wonder what will happen to these people who get fired because, mm -hmm. the, like, for, for example, the murderer of Tamir Rice got another gig. Got another gig. Uh -huh. And the dude who said, who, back in the day, who called black basketball players nappy-headed something, who was fired from that show, got another yep. show. Yep. Now, the, about the time they get their new gig, the spotlight is off, and they go on with their life, and they do what they do because white people, particularly bad white people, have each other's back. And these bad white people are from the White House to the outhouse. So we don't know what's going to happen with these people. Mostly but I, the outhouse. But I agree <laughs> with, with Monique regarding that it's a st systemic issue. But I also have to say, at the risk of sounding peculiar, is that I like when white people are straight up. Because some of them are very repressed, and they behaviorally act out yep. on our people and do damage that's more clandestine that we can't sh shine a spotlight on and they continue where they are doing their damage and we don't know about it because there's no quote-unquote proof. When this woman put this stuff on Instagram, there was proof and people reacted. 
So, this, and also, I just want to close it. I don't think that cultural sensitivity training works. Mm. So, uh, and, I, and I might be, and I might be a whole other conversation. Yeah, it is a whole other conversation. I don't, I don't think. Like... I don't think because oh, I used to be a police, and I remember <laughs> cultural sensitivity. You used to be a police. Uh, yeah. A police. You, you I used were, to be a police. You were a popo. I was a popo. I was a sheriff. I was a deputy sheriff in East be, Los Angeles. You used to be a police. Okay. And the, it did not work. The cultural sensitivity stuff was was superficial. It was it was playing into white people's issues. Shoes and I don't have to see the curriculum. And they do it. They do. They do it holding their noses. I mean, you say you have to do, you know, anti-bias training. They don't want to do it. They do it. They, 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 you know, they do it with their dragging their feet and they mad and the mouths are poked out. And then they say, okay, I did racial bias training, so I'm not you, racist anymore. And they learn the code switch. Do it, they and then the... you have monitors shadowing in the classroom, and it has to be from a neighboring jurisdiction. There is a way to get this done that works. That's the same <laughs> thing as with the police force. You have to cross-pollinate. You have to use federal resources, but it can get done. It can clean, get cleaned up. We can't just lift our hands and say, well, throw... Why? No, but, on. I, no, but, well, they, but the school teachers, teacher system. So, I mean, we no, but we can't do the rap. This well, add water and stir. That we can't do this add water and stir. Let's have work. This is going to happen. Yes. but there it, it needs to be more conversation about this because there's we don't have time to get into it's seven ten. We don't have time to get to to my, <laughs> no, we don't. the facts of me knowing that it don't work. Ron is like we really so, don't. but you know what? But you can't do this add water and stir stuff about. Let's have cultural training without looking at right. what the roots of it are, who's doing it, what kind of work is being Most done. Do Not this job. kumbaya stuff of, you know, the white, the blue-eyed, brown-eyed thing. You know, that, some of that stuff is so superficial, it's almost amusing. We've officially had done? a show now that Julian has said kumbaya because it's going to work its way into the show. <laughs> yeah. Are y'all done? <laughs> Are y'all done? No, but, no. The, but the show has no, to end. We're not done, but well, we probably finished, right? Well, guess what? <laughs> Well, guess what? Um, uh, I'm here. I'm here for a 50 can education reform group board meeting. Damn it, I'm late, so y'all can sit here in that studio talk all y'all want to. Uh, and of course, it's not lost on me. We're discussing uh, an English teacher getting fired, and Cleo said I was a police. So don't think I just t totally missed that. Well, even, this, uh, well, even so the teacher said, "All right, folks. Well, whatever. I was a police." Yes, thank you. <laughs> Thank you very much. All right, folks, if y'all want to support Roller Martin Unfiltered, please join our Bring the Funk fan club uh, by going to RollerMartinUnfiltered.com. We'll certainly appreciate you uh, joining our fan club. That will be greatly appreciated. Uh, our goal, of course, is to have 20,000 of our followers donate a minimum of 50 bucks a year. Uh, that way, this can be a self-funded, independent uh, black media operation. This is all about us talking about the stories that we care about and, of course, the things that get ignored other places as well. Uh, and so please don't just watch us for free on Periscope and Facebook and YouTube. We also want you to also support what we do. You can pay via Cash App, PayPal, or even Square right there at RolandMartinUnfiltered.com. You can pay monthly. You can pay um, You can pay a one-time payment in a year. We have all those different methods, and so we certainly appreciate that. All right, folks, I've got to go. Uh, I will see you guys uh, tomorrow right here, Roller Martin Unfiltered, broadcasting live from Stanford, Connecticut. I'll see you later. Holla! From BBC Radio 4, 
Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cb for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender.